Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to the Transform You Live show. Get inspired and motivated to make a real transformation in your life and business using the power of optimism and mental focus. For more information, visit TransformYouBroadcast.com. That's Transform the Letter U Broadcast.com. Now let's make way for your host, Marcus Paul. Hello, my people, my people. <laughs> we are experiencing some technical difficulties, but we are back. So this is the Transforming You Live show with your host, Marcus Hart. So uh, this show is so great that we got forces that are working against us. <laughs> so without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and just introduce who we got here today. We got Cecil Miller with us today. Uh, so Cecil was born uh, back December 8th, 1937 in the farmhouse of Indiana. Uh, when World War III broke out, he could still recall the airplanes flying in formation and frequent blackouts. And that's a coincidence because like, it looks like we've been having some blackouts as well. So Cecil is with us. So how's he, how are you doing, Cecil? I'm doing very fine. Uh, that was World War II a long time back. Oh, yes, it was. So uh, Cecil, yeah. uh, you know... As I was as I was talking on the other side, you know, like uh, we, I can relate to your story uh, a, a great deal. You know, having and listening to the military when I was, um, you know, um, you know, seventeen, and mm-hmm. you know, you you did the same thing. T- tell us, right. t- take us back down military lane, uh, <laughs> military lane, but memory lane, <laughs> and and, yeah. and rank us up back now. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, quite a, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, a lot of high school, college kids uh, could relate to my story. I'm sure they uh, have gone through it or will go through it. And um, uh, I had, had a girlfriend that went to a different school about seven miles away. And um, she went to uh, my junior senior prom with me and uh uh, some of ball games, and we dated, and um, uh, I graduated from high school. Like I said, when I was 17, I had no future at all for, uh, I had no future for myself, and I didn't feel like I could take on other obligations until I better prepared my life. And uh, the timekeeper at our basketball games offered me a job uh, working on the extra section gang of the uh, New York Central Railroad, replacing tires, leveling rails, and replacing crossings, and hard, hard labor. I thought, is this <laughs> the way I spend the rest of my lifetime? And uh, so I thought, uh, I was actually at work one day, and I thought, this isn't getting it. I need to do something different. And I thought, I think I'll join the Air Force, let them teach me a trade, and then I can use it when I get out of the service. So I uh, 
told him I'd like to take off that afternoon. I went home, cleaned up, and went to the recruiting station. And um, uh, I wasn't old enough to uh, join on my own. They give me some papers, take back to my parents. And, mm-hmm. and I did that, and uh, they were very surprised and uh, tried to talk me out of it a little bit, but they came around and were supportive and signed. And um, then I uh, told my girlfriend, and um, she was very, very disappointed why I didn't talk it over with her. And um, the reason I bring it in is in the book. You know, I think any good book, movie, or whatever takes a person, place, or thing, and it takes a little love story. And um, she got married while I was in service and um, had a son. And um, when I got out, I uh, uh, she called me and said the marriage didn't work out. She's getting a divorce. And we've been married, um, uh, let's see, in a couple of weeks. It's going to be uh, 58 years. So um, I also spent... Um, because I had the time in the military, but I spent 58 years in air traffic control. I uh, went to uh, basic training at San Antonio, Texas. And back then they had three basic training because there was a lot of military. Uh, East Coast was uh, Samson Air Force Base in New York and Parks Air Force Base in California and San Antonio, Texas in the middle. And... Um, I left there and went to Keesler Air Force Base. Um, uh, well, we took a battery up test uh, at uh, San Antonio and, and uh, met with the career counselor. And he wanted to know what I wanted to do. He said, you can do anything you want but fly. He said, came to be a pilot. So he brought up air traffic control and we started talking about it. And it seemed interesting. And so I went to... Uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, went to tech school, and um, then I was assigned Edwards Air Force Base in California. Um, you know, I thought, oh boy, I'm going to the, I'm going to the beach. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what you think of California from a farm boy in Indiana. Uh, got to California and uh, Edwards Air Force Base, and uh, middle of the night, it was dark. And there was a guy in the army uh, was stationed there. He was on leave, and a guy picked him up, and uh, they gave me a ride back to the base. And when it got daylight, I looked up in the sky, and all I could see was jet airplanes. This was called the jet age, right. and um, uh, the jets were taken over the props, and uh, all the airplanes were flown by test pilots. Uh, the Air Force Test Pilot School was located at Edwards. Uh, all the aircraft companies, Lockheed, Douglas, Boeing, all of them uh, had facilities. Uh, they called it Contractors Row because uh, they built the airplanes. And um, uh, it was really uh, an experience. Uh, and uh, when I first got there, uh, I, you, know, just, you know, a month or two, if that long, I don't know. There was a mid-air collision. There was wow. two airliners collided over Grand Canyon. And uh, the first time more than 100 people had been killed. And uh, it also brought out how crude the air traffic control system was. 
and uh, uh, and uh, so the, the president, President Eisenhower, uh, they declared that all they would add on more centers, air traffic control centers, which handle traffic going in route from one facility to another, and had radar to all the centers and to the major terminals, which they didn't have back then. So a lot of changes came about, and. Um, uh, and and I, after I got checked out and certified, I was working one day when um, uh, the X2 was going to take a uh, a flight, and uh, the X2 was a rocket airplane. Uh, you might have heard of a, the X1. The X1 was a uh, rocket airplane that in 1947 that Chuck Yeager flew to break the, be the first man to break the sound barrier. And uh, Captain Kentrelo took that X-2 up to 126,200 feet, and he was the first man to go above 100,000 feet. And they made a big deal out of it, which they should have, but they also included that he was the first man to go into outer space. And um, I worked with him a couple of years later, and he was killed in an F-104 crash, but uh, years later, they took that recognition away from uh, his records, uh, you know, with the space program and so forth, they found out that, you know, he wasn't in outer space. Right. And uh, two weeks after his flight, I worked uh, Captain Apt in the X-2, same airplane, and he was the first man to go above Mach 3, three times the speed of sound. And the controls on the airplane were made for sub. Okay, so uh, uh, you know the aileron rudders and you know so forth uh, that the Wright brothers came up with uh, uh, relied on the uh, way, the wind and the air to push it along, and you just turn it the way you want the wind, about like a sailboat. You know, you Absolutely. move the sail around. But when you get above uh, the speed of sound, there is no air. And uh, wow. And he was briefed on this, but he was going so fast that he felt like he was uh, uh, leaving uh, kind of like the safety zone, you might say. Because with the rocket ships, what they would do, take them up to like 35, 40,000 feet, drop them. They'd get an air start, start those rockets, and they would do whatever their mission called them to do. And they would do it until they burn out of rocket fuel. Oh. And uh, the rocket fuel would be put in to, to satisfy their their, their uh, mission. And um, so he knew he was going so fast and flying so far away, and he was afraid he wouldn't make it back to the lake bed. Because when that engine quit, then it's not like a glider. And uh, that's what you do. You uh, free fall back down and land on the lake bed. And the lake bed was a 65-mile dry lake bed, which is pretty big. And yeah, that's uh, huge. Uh, and I was working in the tower, and I knew he was in trouble. And all the airplane, all the rocket ships ahead of him, uh, you know, just a, a few slots with the, with the pilot in the uh, cockpit. But this because of the uh, the, uh, the known dangers of the past, uh, the, you could eject the nose cone. And then you ride the nose cone down to like 15,000 feet and you punch out just like you would a jet airplane. So I knew he was in trouble and I knew that he ejected, or I recall it, I remember he ejected 
the nose cone. And of course, I'm searching, I'm looking, you know, with binoculars, and I'm working traffic in the pattern. They're still coming and going and so forth. And the fire equipment is all down where they expected him to land. It was standing by. But uh, a good ways away, uh, a different direction, I seen the black smoke. Well, then I called the fire equipment and uh, guided him to that area, but I didn't know whether he had gotten out. And, you know, what's the smoke coming from? Was it the canopy? Was it the fuselage of the rocket ship or what? And it turned out it was uh, uh, the nose cone, and he was still in, and he did not get out. And um, they had just finished filming a movie when I was there, uh, uh, Toward the Unknown, a very good movie about, uh, obviously, jet airplanes, rocket airplanes, and and um, they, uh, uh, the two pilots were kind of the... Uh, the experts uh, to the movie uh, for the military matters and airplanes and so forth and and um, uh, they uh, uh, would uh, go visit to movie actors and you know spend some time with them and um, uh, they uh, had the uh, grand premiere of the opening of the show uh, at the Edwards Air Force Base, and all the stars came out, and they did a ribbon cutting ceremony, and uh, and I went to the uh, uh, to the ceremony to the show that that night, and um, uh, oh, there just so much happened while I was out at Edwards. Uh, uh, the guy that uh, that owned the company, which was Bell Aviation, his name right. was Lawrence Dale Bell, and he passed away, and. Uh, uh, and here, not very far from me, <laughs> uh, the vicinity of Hearst, Texas, a, a high school that they named after him, L.D. Bell, and also nearby here is Bell Helicopter. And I've had a lot of people working for Bell Helicopter not aware that uh, it was named after uh, the founder of Bell Aviation. So, um, but there, there's just so much uh, in my book. I started in in 1900 and uh what happened my um i uh, had retired and my wife said you know you've had so much happen in your career you should write down some things and leave it for the family and just put an envelope and they can pull it out and i said okay so i started writing down some things but i i had questions come to mind like i mean even after my 58 years why did they start but their traffic control, and how did they start it? And you know, the pilots in the World War One, you know, open cockpit, shoot with pistols and <laughs> and you know, rifles, and uh, uh, you know, and the first stewardess, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, you know, they had the first airliner, and and, uh, and back in those days, they, they the airplanes didn't go very high. And they uh, uh, came kind of low, but the sun would always bounce reflection off of the ground, and there'd be thermals coming up, and it, they, it would really give, at times, the, the air carriers a rough ride. Right. And so it was nothing uncommon for people to get airsick. So a nurse went to uh, the airliner and said, I think you need nurses on there. And so they thought about it, and then they thought, well, yeah, okay, well, we get a nurse, and maybe 
you know, she could do some other things and other duties. And I don't remember, but it, they didn't give her that title of stewardess initially. Uh, and you remember, people were smaller back then. That was in the 30s. And um, you, know, you had to be five foot two or less. And you had 115 pounds or less. So they had restrictions on them. And um, uh, so, like I said, it was just kind of interesting to see aviation go from the Wright brothers on their flight and then uh, go to World War II, where they really had to expedite and develop airplanes and so forth. And uh, there was, after the war of 47, they uh, uh, raced to space, uh, or not raced to space, that came later, but uh, going into uh, uh, breaking the sound barrier. And then follow that with the Korean War, Starting in the Korean War, there was F-80, and the uh, uh, it was a, a new jet that was built during the war, but never seen any action because of the timing. But it uh, was one of the leading fighters in the Korean War, and shortly thereafter, uh, the F-86 uh, started flying in the Korean War, and it uh, dominated the airspace. And the uh, pilot, uh, quite a story on the pilot of the. Uh, uh, of the F-86. He was a chase pilot for uh, Chuck Yeager and the X-1, stationed there at Edwards, and uh, he was a civilian, and the story behind that. And then he went over to Korea and taught the pilots how to fly the F-86, and he returned to Edwards Air Force Base, and they came up with, the, in, in 1953, and they came up with the Sentry Series. And these were all the uh, fighters, the uh, F-100, F-101, F-102, F-104, F-105, F-106. They even had the F-107, but it didn't go on to production. And um, he was the uh, chief pilot for North American Aviation. And uh, they really wanted to set that airplane aside and, and make it uh, be outstanding. And a jet airplane, no other airplane had ever broken a sound barrier except a rocket airplane. Yeah. So they wanted this F-100 to be the first to break the sound barrier. And uh, they asked him to do it on the first flight. But there were so many problems with the airplane. And he was really disappointed. And he uh, brought it back. And, and he told them all the problems they had and so forth. And so they worked them all over and worked the bugs out of it. And then they told him, say, okay, we want you to break the sound barrier on the second flight. He said, okay. So he took it up, broke the sound barrier. And like I said, there was no wind, and, and, and a lot of these rocket airplanes had lost control. Chuck Yeager lost 45,000 feet. And lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's fun to go twice as hard as everyone else this time of year. That's why Dunkin' doesn't stop at just one signature holiday latte. So, they made two. Both handcrafted with rich espresso and topped with whipped cream. The holiday classic Peppermint Mocha features notes of mocha and cooling peppermint while the toasted white chocolate is complete with creamy white chocolate flavor and cinnamon sugar dustings. 
They'll help you show the holidays a thing or two. America runs on Duncan. Present participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Was able to regain control, but some of them didn't, and they crashed. And so he uh, encountered, and they called that inertial coupling. And uh, he encountered this inertial coupling and uh, uh, was killed in the F-100. So he really uh, had, had a story. Uh, in my eyes, he's a hero that probably nobody, very few people had ever heard of. And, and so, you, um, and so you really do a good job of like just capturing a lot of these stories inside of your book, right? Well, I lived it. Uh, well, the, 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 the other part I did this year, I researched. Yeah, and you know, this is this is well preserved. You know, like history, and you know, and it's, and it's good to have someone who who actually have like you know, uh, whose lifestyle this was essentially your lifestyle. Um, you know, and, and we, we getting pretty, pretty, pretty close here to, you know, um, uh, to, oh, to, yeah. to, to our time here. And, you know, I definitely don't want to take away from, you know, what, you know, to what, to what you had offered us. Um, yeah. you know, we, 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 we want to, uh, we, we just got to applaud you here. You know, you, you, you really, you know, you really have, you know, uh, our 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 museum of you know what you know uh, inspiration <laughs> so you know and you know and, and it's just you know and like and what I what I would like to know is just your thoughts on you know what you know what um what's been you know uh instituted is um you know with what with the space force you know um uh, with, with mission space force um you know uh, what are your thoughts on that um you know uh, and as you look back on your own life and, you know, in, in, in an evolution on, uh, on aviation now? Well, you know, there's so much happened when I was at Edwards Air Force Base, uh, uh, working there in the uh, control tower. Uh, I mentioned some of it, uh, but during that period of time, they came out with uh, the caller TV. They yeah. came out with the uh, interstate system. President Eisenhower signed a bill you know, with the, proving the, the uh, interstate system. And as I said, when I got to Edwards, it was called the race to space. And in 1957, the Russians sent Sputnik into outer space. And that changed everything where now it became the race to space. Right. And um, so the money shifted, the priorities shifted, and they uh, selected the seven original astronauts Three of them were uh, pilots, at, uh, test pilots at Edwards while I was there. And uh, to be an astronaut, you had to have, uh, obviously you had to be a pilot, but you had to be a test pilot. You had to be uh, an engineer. And you had to have, uh, you had to be labeled as a, a genius. So, you know, that separates a lot of men from boys when you have to go to that. So the seven original astronauts uh, were, uh, were very special and, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it just kind of you know, kind of went from there. And I worked the uh, X-15 in 1959 and the first flight. And there was a guy in the Navy, uh, Scott Crossfield, and he was uh, in the flu, the D-558 in the early 50s. And 
he got out of the service, became a, uh, a, a, a civilian test pilot. Yeah. And he flew a lot of the rocket planes, so he knew a lot of the problems and so forth, and he helped design the X-15. And uh, as I mentioned, the, X- the ones prior to that, we relied on the air to move it around, and when they came up the X-15, they had little rockets. And you would, uh, you know, fire up that rocket, and that would push you left or right, depending on which one you pushed and so forth. And uh, the engine wasn't ready in uh, 59, uh, but they took it up to about 35,000 feet underneath the B-52, and they dropped it. And, uh, in fact, he got on a very short final. I was listening to the test frequency of the tower, and I was working the local position, and uh, uh, at the tail end, he, he brought the nose up and brought it down. And, boy, they jumped all over him, and they said, that was not in the script. <laughs> they said, boy, does it feel good. <laughs> and uh, uh, so in the 60s, they uh, took that X-15 up, and it almost went to Mach 7, seven times the speed of sound. And it almost went to 400,000 feet. And today, the X-15 still holds a record for a man flight with a man flying the airplane. Now, there's... You know, Cape Canaveral would uh, guide the airplanes and take control, but for man sitting in the cockpit, it still holds the records. And I finished my book with a look into the future. The technology is there today on paper. So they kind of got a game plan on where to go, but by 2030 to 2050, somewhere in that time range, because of the time range is because of the acceptance of, the America, uh, of people. People don't want to accept things, you know, but that, but in, uh, somewhere in that period of time, you'll be able to get in an airplane in London and fly to Australia at an hour and a half, which is Mach 7. Yes. Once again, that's the same speed that they uh, flew in, in the 60s, Mach 7. So I think that's kind of significant. But the reason they couldn't, you know, bring that on sooner a big block was okay. If you go break, if you go beyond Mach one, you break the sound barrier. Well, if anybody knows anything about that, you get a sonic boom. Yeah. And if you get a lot of airplanes doing boom, 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 you break windows and you know can do damage to things on the ground. And uh, all air traffic control or all airports, major airports, have a noise abatement program where you try to keep the noise uh, in one level as much as you can. That's just the noise. And then he goes, you know, it's like the Concorde used to fly into Dallas-Fort Worth when I was working there. And it could go, you know, whatever speed it wanted to over the ocean, but when they got over land, it had to go subsonic. So, you know, they got thinking, uh, is this really worthwhile, you know? And it worked out pretty good going from, because it only went two places, Paris or London, uh, Paris or uh, uh, in London. And uh, going into the New York area would be okay. But to bring it inland, like to uh, Dallas or some other places inland, in it just didn't really make sense. And uh, the reason was the sonic boom. So, like I said, they've had technology to do some things that they held back. And when I mentioned about people accepting, made me think, in 1934, they came up with an elevator that you could push a button and you could take the elevator from one floor to another by yourself. 
before that, it always required a person in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the older people still, because I do, I remember uh, people, uh, in fact, my grandmother used to be an elevator operator. It took until 1954, that was 20 years, before the people would really accept getting in the elevator and not having somebody in the elevator to operate it and, you know, self-operating it. So it's like the getting into this jet, it's going to be real sleek, no windows. Cause you're... But one thing real quick, though, is I, I would want to mention that I, I I feel like air traffic controllers, which I didn't get to talk about much here, as uh, they're unseen, they're unheard of, and uh, they don't know really what they do. And if a, a, a person is afraid of flying, sometimes they think they're up there all by themselves in an airplane. And there is people on the ground that have you on radar contact working with you, working with the pilot. So there is another set of eyes there with you. And I take the, the readers into a control room and share with them the responsibility of the controller and the pilot and how we work together to make it a safe flight. So I've seen the uh, air traffic control go to pretty primitive when <laughs> in the 50s and, uh, uh, and two word is you know, the uh, the control room is uh, like when I started in Annapolis, they had radar. Why did they have radar in Annapolis and not some of the other facilities? That was where the tech center was located. And they did all the futuristic work for the FAA. And uh, they had the SR-1, and now they have the SR-11. I mean, everything, just like, you know, everything in a person's life, they're automobiles or anything else it just keeps improving and um, I've seen all of that uh, to go to where it is from 1955 to now and one quick thing I'll add I did talk to a couple of pilots and uh, they said uh, and I, I mentioned to them that in order to be a pilot for an airline it takes a lot of hours you surely got yours in the military yeah absolutely. They said, yes and yeah, and I said, Where, what did you fly? And this one said a B-2, B-2 bomber. And um, he said, you know, he said, I've read about the test files in about that period of time that you talked about at Edwards. And he said, it's just uh, so neat to really meet somebody that was actually there. You know, he said, that's history. I said, yes. I said, it was. And I said, I, you know, didn't really think about it until I wrote the book and, uh, and I was a part of history, and um, and that's a, a lot that people have never known about or has been overlooked. But uh, you know, it was a it was a great ride, and I really believe anybody uh, has an interest at all in aviation, whether they work in uh, building the building the airplanes, uh, maintaining them, or fly or whatever, would really enjoy the book. So. Um, uh, enjoy the reading, please. Well, they're definitely be- beautiful. You know, they're, they're beautiful uh, machinery uh, in the air, you know, and we enjoy them. You know, they're joy, and we enjoy the people right. that have, um, you know, given a service uh, to, you know, maintain them and, you know, and been around them and learn about them. And, and right. you're, you're a great part of history, indeed, and, and still making your mark in history by, you know, uh, writing, writing, writing and telling your stories. Uh, you know, and, and we we greatly appreciate you so much. Uh, you know, you, you're definitely been a joy here tonight, and you know, um, and it's just just incredible. You know, we're great, we're great honor to just speak with you. 
thank you. Get so much education uh, surrounding surrounding uh, your life. Uh, so, so with that being said, you know, is, is is there any final words of wisdom you want to leave us with? Well, you know, just uh, you know, uh, I you know, it just it just takes. Uh, I, I tell you what, I, people tell me this all the time. I went to New York City for uh, a book signing and uh, the New York, New York Expo, and I've been to other places. And the thing I hear probably more than anything is. Oh, air traffic control, that's the most stressful job there is. And really, it, I read, you know, you can look it up, research it yourself, and, 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 you know, it's probably in the top five whenever you read. Sometimes it's one, sometimes whatever. But, you know, it's it's uh, confidence. You have to have self-confidence, and I think this is true in life. And uh, if I would share anything, uh, no matter what you do, not only air traffic control, but but whatever you do, you you need to have that self confidence. There's a, it kind of reminds me of a, a football team, and they're like five points behind. So you, you know, you you need a touchdown. A field goal won't do you any good, and you're on the five yard line, and you got maybe five seconds to go in the game. Right. And there's some people that don't want the ball. You know, it, it's a what if. You know, what if I don't make it, then I'm the goat, and I've got to live with this all next week. And then there's the others. Hey, you know, they get in the huddle, tell the quarterback, give me the ball. You know, give me the ball. Or in basketball, who takes the last shot? Not everybody wants to take that final shot if it's, uh, you know, it's really something big. But, you know, uh, it's just something that's uh, that's in you, I guess. And, um, uh, and the hardest thing about air traffic control, I guess, is training others you know you, you have a uh, mic that you has their override capability so as they talk if you need to key in boom you're there you got control of the mic and um, uh, but how far do you let the guy go or the girl or whatever the person go you uh, uh, you know you stick with them as long as you can and then make it a learning session but uh, there's a times that you may have to take over and uh, uh, so it's uh, I, I enjoyed it. I would recommend it for anybody. But uh, uh, you know, everybody's different. We had a lot of people that got into it and just uh, you know said, "Oh, yeah, I've got to withdraw. I I, uh, I just can't do this." And uh, they take it home with them and and worry about it. And you know, I, I worked emergencies. Uh, you know, and and I know it saved some lives and. And so what do you do, you know? You, you leave the tower, you walk out, and you get in your car, and and uh, you think about it on the way to the car probably, and think, you know, you did a good job. But then you get home, it's dinner time, and play with the kids, and they don't want to hear about, you know, things like that. That's uh, not a very good subject, and um, and you don't go around bragging about, hey, I saved somebody's life. You you do what you have to do, and... and uh, you know, you move on, and because uh, uh, that's just a way of life. Except I, like I, I was rounded for 58 years. I actually controlled traffic. I, my choice, I wanted to remain a first-level supervisor, where I could still supervise and still work the airplanes. And uh, I had the four years in the military, and I had uh, 30 years in uh, the FAA. That was 34 years. 
And then I got out, became a contractor working for Lockheed Martin on a uh, NIST contract supporting the uh, FAA. I sat in the regional office right beside FAA people and had the same responsibilities they did. And I did that for 24 years. So uh, total 58 years. Uh, I was eligible to retire a lot sooner, but I uh, uh, didn't retire until I was 75. And um I would have retired then if I, if I could hang on a little bit longer, but uh, yeah. it's, it's time to move on. Yes. Remarkable. Truly remarkable. Well, we, we, we greatly appreciate you, you know, uh, Cecil. And, you know, it's, uh, it's greatly been, been an honor, uh, Mr. Miller. Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, boys and girls, uh, so do go out and support uh, Mr. Cecil Miller's uh, book. Uh, the, the book is... Uh, aviation traffic control, uh, so, uh, aviation and air traffic control, aviation and at Amazon at air traffic control. Yeah, at Amazon. So you want to go out and uh, purchase it at Amazon. Uh, it is available uh, in in version of hard copy and paperback. Nothing like a good old book, especially a, a book <laughs> that's filled with uh, so much information. Uh, that you can digest and uh, read over and over and over again and pass along uh, to a friend to uh, to also enjoy and digest um you know we know that the um the information is uh is great and you know we just had veterans day that just passed and and of course mm -hmm. you know we got the uh the christmas holidays coming up so uh with that being said we're going to close out the show here you know cecil do hold the line briefly uh, okay. So this is a Transform You live show with your host Marcus Hart. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. Reach out to Cecil. Uh, is there any other way to contact you besides buying the book, Cecil? Oh, they can contact me. Uh, email address is my name, Cecil R. Number initial R Miller, number one at gmail dot com. Cecil R Miller one at gmail dot com. Terrific. Okay, folks, make sure you do contact Cecil. And when you do, let them know that the Transform You Live show has sent you over. Until next time, uh, make sure you do continue to harness the power of optimism, hope, and faith to make real transformation in your life. Many blessings, peace, and lots of love. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.